And all right, this morning's sermon is going to be the second part of the sermon series that I had mentioned. It's going to be on the family. So the very first sermon that I preached that was a part of this series was Be Fruitful and Multiply. So the title of this morning's sermon is going to be Homeschooling versus the public school system. Homeschooling versus the public school system. So what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be going through all of the, the different advantages and all of the different ways in which homeschooling is superior to the public school system. So I'm not going to be touching you know, so much on the Christian school uh, system itself. I, there will be things that will relate to it and at the very end I'll give a couple of statements about you know, uh, uh, why I believe uh, that uh, the, the Christian school system is inferior as well. But the main focus is going to be homeschooling versus the public school system. And I'm going to be using the Bible on things on that, that, that bring about knowledge and wisdom. So what is the purpose of a school system? It's, of course, to educate a child, right? That is the, the declared purpose of the public school system, right? That they are meant to, uh, they are trying to educate the children. They want them to grow in understanding. They want them to grow in knowledge. They want them, them to grow in wisdom. And I'm actually going to show that the public school system is doing the exact opposite and that the best option for children is homeschooling. Now, obviously, you know, if I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to preach a sermon like this, obviously I myself personally am an advocate of homeschooling. And in my life, we are now in our seventh year with Michaela, that is. She's in the sixth grade. She, of course, did kindergarten. We're in the seventh year of homeschooling this year. and We have our second child, Elijah, who is now also being homeschooled. So we participate in this. We're obviously not a hypocrite. We believe in homeschooling big time. We believe that you should be homeschooling your children. Now I want you to look with me there at Psalm chapter number 111 verse number 10 and I'm going to begin with my first point on reasons why Christians should not send their children to the public school system but why should they should homeschool instead. So I want you to look with me at Psalm chapter number 111 verse number 10. The Bible says this, <clears throat> the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and then it goes on a good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forevermore. I want you to turn over to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, I want you to go to specifically Proverbs chapter number 9, verse number 10. So if we go to the Bible, then we look at what is the foundation of wisdom. If I want my child to be wise, if I want my child to have understanding, if I want my child to be a knowledgeable, smart, educated human being, where does it begin? Well, if you're a Bible believer, the Bible says that it begins with the fear of the Lord. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says there in verse number 10, as we read, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if I desire for my children to grow up and to be wise one day, do you know where it needs to begin? It needs to begin where they are, they are being taught the fear of the Lord. They need to first, at a young age, be taught the fear of the Lord. It goes on and says, A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. So notice it's repeating itself and it talks about understanding. How do you get it? By the fear of the Lord. Who keeps his commandments? Of course, those that fear the Lord. So a wise child, a wise person, is a person that fears the Lord. So where do we begin with a child's education? Where do we begin when teaching a child and things that a child should know and, and, and be learned on? What does it start with? It starts with the fear of the Lord. You are in Proverbs. Look at Proverbs 
Chapter number 9, verse number 10, you'll see this repeated, the consistency here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then it says this, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So notice, it says again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then it explains a little bit more about that. And I'm going to go more so into this in point number two. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it says, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So notice that the knowledge of the holy, also tying it in, knowledge with the fear of the Lord. So how do we get wisdom? How do we get understanding? How do we get knowledge? Well, it has to begin with the fear of the Lord. If you want to have a wise child one day, do you know where their education needs to begin? Do you know where their knowledge, their understanding, all of that needs to begin? It needs to begin with the fear of the Lord. If you have a child that's never taught the fear of the Lord, they will never attain unto wisdom according to the Bible. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So of course a child is not wise. They're without understanding. They're without knowledge. They're without wisdom. But where does their wisdom need to begin? Where should the education begin? It should begin with the fear of the Lord. That is always where wisdom begins. Also, I want to read to you from uh, the book of Isaiah in two different places. You can go over to Proverbs. Uh, the, you're already in the book of Proverbs. Go to Proverbs chapter number 15. Proverbs chapter number 15. I'm going to read to you from two verses from the book of Isaiah. It says this in Isaiah 11:2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So notice that the fear of the Lord there is coupled again repeatedly with things that have to do with intelligence, if you will, in a broad sense. It has to do with knowledge. It has to do with wisdom and understanding. Those things are coupled with the fear of the Lord. And how do they receive it? They receive it because why? What does it say? This is, of course, prophetic about the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon them. So if you want your children to have understanding, if you want your children to have knowledge and wisdom, do you know what they need also? They need the Spirit of the Lord. If you're going to have a wise child, they must have the Spirit of the Lord. Notice again Isaiah 33, chapter number 33, verse number 6. The Bible says, And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. And then it goes on and says, The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Over and over and over again, we notice that the fear of the Lord, that statement is coupled with Wisdom. Where wisdom is present, the fear of the Lord is always present. So if you are going to have wisdom, if you're going to have a wise child, if you're going to have a knowledge and under, you know, a very well understanding child, that child is going to have to be taught the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. So notice that that is where it begins. Let me ask you a, a very simple you know, but almost ridiculous question. Is the fear of the Lord being taught in the public school system today? Are children being taught the fear of the Lord? Do they, is that how their education begins? Is that how their wisdom and their knowledge and their understanding begins in the public school system today? Of course not. God is not even mentioned in the public school system. There are, there are examples of teachers being fired for even trying to teach a God-centered type of curriculum when they're supposed to have liberty to do so in some states and laws and everything like that. But God is, is, is totally being removed out of the public school systems. And I'm not fighting to put God back into the public school systems. I'm trying to convince Christians to stop sending their children to the public school systems. So 
what's going on is God has been removed. People aren't praying anymore. They're not allowed to pray in the public school system. They're removing God from when they say the Pledge of Allegiance oftentimes. There are schools that will do things like that. They're, they, they're trying to pull if there's any Ten Commandments that are, that are up outside. They are purposely trying to remove God from. They're act, actually proactively working against teaching the children the fear of the Lord. So if if we want to have wise children, does it sound like it would be, with point number one, a smart idea to send our children to an institution where they are not going to be teaching them the fear of the Lord? Of course not. If you want your children to be wise, if you want your children to grow up and to be a knowledgeable, understanding you know, person or human being, they need to start with the fear of the Lord. If you're going to send them to the public school system, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Um, Go to Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7. Proverbs chapter number 1 verse number 7. Many people have, uh, I've heard this many times, referred to the public school system as the public full system. And, and throughout these points I'm going to be showing you why that is applicable. I'm going to be giving you different points why it is the public full system. It is a very foolish system. It is, it is uh, based upon or predicated upon a, a foolish curriculum. It is based upon a curriculum that avoids God. Now, a person that does not have wisdom, a person that does not have knowledge, a person that does not have understanding, would you say that that's you know, a, a, a smart person if we were to just use common language today? Of course not. What would you call that person? You'd say that that person is a fool. The, the public school system is turning out a bunch of fools according to the Bible. If they're not being taught the fear of the Lord and they cannot attain unto understanding and knowledge and wisdom, then what are they? What are they raising? What are they rearing? They're rearing and they are turning out a bunch of fools. It is a system that is based upon foolishness. Look at Proverbs chapter number 1, verse number 7. Proverbs chapter number 1, verse number 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then it says this, but fools despise wisdom and, and instruction. So I want you to notice that these two things are contrasted. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge now, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then it says this, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So notice that the fear of the Lord and the person that fears the Lord is a knowledgeable person, but that's being contrasted with the other person. The person that hasn't been taught the fear of the Lord. The person maybe that's not teaching or instructing others in the fear of the Lord. So what would that person be? According to Proverbs chapter number 1 verse number 7, they would be a fool. And that is what the public school system is turning out today. Those that are not receiving this instruction, those that are not receiving this knowledge elsewhere in their life, because of course, you know, uh, the parents could teach the children, and there are many parents, I'm sure, good parents that do send their children to public school as well. But if, uh, if the public school system is the only place where you are receiving knowledge, understanding, and supposedly wisdom, the Bible teaches that you're not truly an intelligent person, you're not truly a knowledgeable, understanding person, or a wise person, you are actually a fool if you do not have the fear of the Lord. If you're not receiving the, the teaching of the fear of the Lord, and if you're not growing in the fear of the Lord, and you can only do that by being taught the commandments, then you are a foolish person. So notice, point number one, we have solidified that it is in fact the public fool system because they don't have the fear of the Lord, therefore they are not wise. That is the beginning of wisdom. I want you to go to Psalm chapter number 14, verse number one for the second point. S Psalm chapter number 14, verse number one. So, <clears throat> When homeschooling your children, this is point number one, why 
homeschooling is, is superior and public school system is inferior, when homeschooling your children, you can use the Word of God. And you can teach them the commandments. And you can help them to grow in understanding and knowledge and wisdom which is learned and, and comes from, it's rooted in, the fear of the Lord. We can cause our children to have the fear of the Lord in their lives and they can grow up to be knowledgeable, understanding, and, and wise children. If you go to the public school system, just from the public school system, you will not grow up to be a wise person. You are not taught the fear of the Lord. You are not taught the commandments of the Lord. Psalm chapter number 34, verse number 11 says this, Come, ye children, hearken unto me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So who should be teaching their children the fear of the Lord, of course, or who should be teaching the children the fear of the Lord? The parents should. Just as David, he said, Come, you children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. That is what parents should say. We should take on the job, just as David said here, and we should be the ones teaching our children and making sure that they learn the fear of the Lord in teaching them the commandments. So that was point number one. Point number two. Not only do they not teach your children about God, but as I alluded to, they proactively teach your children that there is no God. You're there in Psalm chapter number 14, verse number 1. Psalm chapter number 14, verse number 1. This is point number 2, why public, the public school system is inferior. Why is it in fact the public full system? Look at Psalm chapter number 14, verse number 1. The Bible says this, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter number 6. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. So notice what it says in Psalm 14. It says that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Psalm chapter number 53 verse number 1 says this. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they and have done abominably, abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. The public school system is clearly and obviously, it is undoubtedly an atheistic system. The public school system is an atheistic system. Now, what is an atheist? An atheist is someone that says, there is no God. Now, according to the Bible, what is that person? That person is a fool. Now, the architects of the public school system, if you look them up, the people that are the authors of the curriculum that is taught to the children, do you know what all of them are, philosophically? What, you know what all of them believe when it comes to science? They believe in science falsely so-called, which is evolution, of course. They believe that there is no God. So the founders, the architects, all those that make all the decisions and the councils and, and the higher-ups and the, you know, the upper echelons of the public school system, all of them are atheists. Look it up. All of them. I mean, yeah, you can find an exception. 99% of them are atheists. And you know what they say? There is no God. We do not believe in any, any sort of creator. Well, you know what the Bible says that person is? A fool. You know, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Point number two, why it is the public full systems. Our, our schools, they're not teaching the children that God created the universe. They're not, they're not teaching the children that in the beginning, God said, let there be light. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They're not teaching children that in the beginning, the Lord was there, and God was there, and that He spoke this world into existence. Do you know what they're teaching? They're teaching the children that in the beginning, there was nothing. And then there was the Big Bang. 
and then there was everything and then now look around children now look at look at the universe that's what everything that's what brought about everything that you see so you're in first timothy chapter number six verse number 20 keep in mind this was written two thousand years ago it says this O timothy keep that which is committed to thy trust avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called so notice that timothy was warned Timothy was warned by Paul. He said, Old Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. So he was entrusted with something. He told him to keep that which is committed to thy trust. And then he said this, avoiding profane and vain babbling. So what was Timothy told to do? What would it be good for a Christian to do? To avoid profane and vain babblings. I want you to notice what's coupled with that. And oppositions of science falsely so-called. Do you know what we should do about science falsely so-called? We should avoid it. We should not be, be sending our children to an institution that is going to be teaching the, them these things. We should be avoiding these things. These things that are in opposition to the Bible and to God. Even Charles Darwin, when he authored his book, Origin of Species, at the time when he said that he was transitioning into this world of thought, he said that he could, that he felt, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the dissipation or something like that. I can't remember the exact word that he used. The dissipation of his faith in a creator. This is the man who actually came up with the theory of evolution. You know what that tells you? That you can't believe both. They are in opposition to one another. Even the man that wrote the foreword, Brother Anthony and I were just talking about this the other day. The man that wrote the foreword to the book, Origin of Species, do you know what he said? He said, we, he, he actually went on to explain that, yes, I know that Charles Darwin, in his original book, stated that in order to prove this, you know, to be fact and not a, just a theory, we would have had to have found, you know, uh, uh, millions of transitional fossils, and we have not done so. But then he went on to say this, but we still believe in evolution because to believe in special creationism is just unthinkable. So... There's a few things about that. Number one, he just says, like, I don't even want to even retain God in my knowledge. That kind of sounds, you know, familiar. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So he's like, I don't even want to think about that. It's unthinkable, number one. But number two, you can notice that even he understands that there's just, they're, 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 these two positions are pitted against one another. They are in opposition to one another, just like 1 Timothy 6, 20 says. It is oppositions of science, falsely so-called. Evolution, you cannot believe both. Evolution is in opposition to the Bible. So what a lot of Christians are doing today, sadly and unfortunately, is they are taking their children and they are sending their children to an institution to be indoctrinated with a theory that is purposely and was designed to be in opposition to the Bible. The whole purpose of evolution is to try to ex have another explanation so that you don't have to believe in God. Or so you, you, can, you, you, you don't need to believe in the fact that there is a creator. Evolution is, it is a fool's religion is all that it is. There, it, it is supposedly, and this is a perfect, the Bible words things so perfectly. Science falsely so called. I mean, you couldn't word that any better. You could sit around and try to come up with something. You couldn't word that any better. That is exactly and perfectly what evolution is. It is science it is science falsely so-called. There is not a stitch of truth. There is not a stitch of truth in the theory of evolution. It is 100% false, all of it. Every aspect of evolution. It is a joke. It's a stinking fairy tale is what it is. 
Science, the word science means knowledge. And what it means is knowledge that is acquired through testing. And, and get this, this is important. Repeated, you know, uh, uh, demonstrable uh, tests. That's what it is. You need to be able to repeat the tests over and over again. Evolution is so far from that. There is, there is zero proofs of evolution. It is all based upon a theory that some guy just came up with. And there's been you know, a lot of time that's went by and they're not able to come up with any evidence, period. The only evidence they have is some chart that some guy drew up. That's all that they have. Ev you know, evolution to its very core is a joke. You never, you know, there is never any example. You could never find any example even close to where one kind of animal transition and transitions and changes into another kind of animal. It's, it's ridiculous to even say. It's so silly and stupid that dogs were cats or cats were dogs or, you know, they go so far as to say that, you know, dinosaurs and chickens were related. I mean, it's just a joke. It's like they know that it's a lie and it's their way just to try to cause people not to believe in the Bible and they even make it ridiculous just to mess with people just to, to toy you around it is the it is so stupid it's ridiculous you know uh, even what I always like to go to with the with the person because they could try to say all oh, evolution is is distinct from the origin of the universe you know every person that believes in evolution believes in the origin of the universe you have to believe both good because the reason why you believe in evolution is because you don't want to believe in God that's your way to explain it slowly until you get back to the origin of the universe but you know what happens is they climb back to the origin of the universe, but then they still have this major problem because animals changing from one animal to another doesn't help them. What they're trying to do is they see all the complexity. They can over and over again say, well, the complexity doesn't prove that there is a creator. Well, that's stupid and dumb right there, but let's just avoid that for just a minute. That is the purpose of evolution, my friend. It's to try to explain away the complexity because you know what they do is they look around at all the complexity and they say, man, this screams a creator. So you know what they have to do? They have to try to take all that complexity and bring it back to where it's more simple. But then they don't realize, like, you still have a problem right here, down at the bottom. Because where did this come from? Who created the world? You still have an issue. There was an origin to this universe. Everyone realizes that. Look at the population. I mean, you could do it with, you could, you could test so many different things that are changing today, you know, the distance of the moon, the distance of the sun, all of these different things. And we can see, you can look at the population. It grew over time. There was a beginning, my friend, to this universe. So let's just avoid evolution, right? Let's just go to the origin of the universe. It is a fool's religion. This is, these are your two options. It's this simple. Number one, you believe that something created everything. Or, number two, you believe that nothing created everything. Nothing. Because what you're trying to get to is where there's a point where there's no matter, there's no time, there's no space. That's where the evolutionist wants to bring you to. He wants to take you all the way to the point where there was nothing because he just wants to get rid of God. That's what he wants to do. So these are your two options. Nothing. No time, no space. And then they're supposedly going to use science to explain this. How in the world can you explain a scientific process when you have nothing? You have zilch. No time, no space, no matter. All the laws of physics are out the window, my friend. How is this scientific at all? It is a fool's religion. 
That's what it is. And it is a religion because it's not based on fact. It's not based on science. There's nothing testable or provable about evolution at all. It is a fairy tale for someone who hates God and doesn't want to retain God in, in their minds and in their knowledge. That's what it is. And do you know what the public school system is teaching today? It's teaching evolution to all of the children. That is the core of the philosophy. It is atheistic and it is evolutionist. It is evolution is what it is. That is what it's based upon. It is based upon evolution. So why is it the public school system? Because it's an atheistic religion or an atheistic school system. It is a school system that is based upon atheism. So that's why is the public school system. So why point number two, why should you not send your kids to the public school system or the public school system? Because they try to teach your children against God and, and that there is not a creator. You know what you can do? as a homeschooler is you can teach them about creation. You can explain to them that God created the world. You know how we all got here? God said, let there be light. There's an omnipotent being that exists. That's the only answer that you, that you can come up with in the first place. You have to have the only explanation for everything that you see around you has to be outside of and has to transcend this universe. He can't be in this universe. It has to be something that transcends, that's beyond, that's outside of what you see today. That is the only logical explanation. There are no other options, my friend. You can search and, and think about this all you want, but that's the only option. So can you imagine having you know, a, a 13, 14-year-old child that is, that is schooled and educated, homeschooled child, understands you know, the science of creationism, understands the Bible and the philosophy that comes with the Bible, you know, uh, going toe-to-toe -to -toe with some child in the public school system that's been taught evolution. I mean, it's, 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 it's a joke to even think about. They have no answers. They, they try to use evolution, but it answers nothing. Ultimately, it gives no answers, and you still have this major, you know, big sore thumb just screaming out, where did everything come from? God, that's where it came from. And God created the world and He created the different kinds from the very beginning. Different distinct kinds. We can, we can teach our children that from Genesis chapter number 1 when we homeschool our kids. Your kids won't be taught that. You know what they'll be taught? They'll be taught to be a fool. They'll be taught, hey kids, there is no God. There are science teachers, biologist teachers that literally look forward to trying to deceive children out of believing in God. There are, I've heard so many examples from personal testimonies from people where they had a teacher that tried to talk them out of their belief in God. Where they went to college and had somebody try to, and it's all the same, it's all governmental, it's all ran by the same people given the same curriculum. Where they try to deceive them out of believing in the Lord and believing that there is a creator and that there is a God. If you, if you send your kids to the public school system, they're going to be taught a foolish curriculum. They're going to be taught that there is no God. Only a fool would believe such a thing. Okay, so that's point number two. I want you to go to point number, Daniel chapter number one, and I'm on point number three. So even when it comes to secular education, the government education system is a fool system. Even when we, so you're like, well, let, you know, the fear of the Lord, all that, I'm not interested in that. You know, you, know, you know, that's not my forte. That's not what I'm interested in. Let's just talk about, you know, what I'm worried about when you homeschool your kids is that your kids are going to be lacking in education. And isn't this oftentimes what people bring up? They think, you know, well, you're not qualified, Brother Anthony. What do you think you're going to teach all these kids? Or Brother Rick, you guys can't teach all these children. 
You know, we need someone that went to college for this. We need someone that has a certificate and they have been approved by an institution that says, you are qualified to teach and train these children. You're not qualified for that. You're not, you know, you haven't been trained to do that. Isn't that what you'll hear oftentimes? How are you going to train your children, right? People will talk about this all the time and normally what they're focusing on is what? Secular education in this case. Obviously, they're not talking about, you know, they could care less whether your children are being taught Christianity or Islam in the schools. This is just a discussion about, about your children learning. It's just secular knowledge. Secular just means worldly. That's what that means. And, and secular in this sense is not a bad thing, right? You sh your children should learn history, right? You know, we don't just sit down and just like, just teach, you know, just directly from the Bible our children. You know, we're going to look at here in just a minute that, that men of God and children of God, you can look at Solomon. This is a good thing. We need to learn. We're, we're actually prodded and provoked to learn just wisdom. We should desire wisdom and knowledge. We shouldn't be stupid people. Christians should be intelligent people. The great men of God in the Bible were smart people. They were intelligent people. Not only in the Word of God. That's our basis. This is our foundation. Without this, Nothing else makes sense. You have to have the fear of the Lord to begin, but we also need to you know, spring out. We also need to branch out, and we need to learn about secular education. So when it comes to the public school system and the homeschooling, which one's better when it comes to secular education? I printed off something, and this is going to make everybody in here feel like an idiot. It did me. I printed off here for you an eighth grade exam. An 8th grade exam from 1895 in Salina, Kansas. This is when this took place. 1895 in Salina, Kansas. Now, the public school, school system became compulsory in 1852. Does everybody know what compulsory means? Where it's forced. It's compelled. Right? It, of course they had like a... Put your hand down, Elijah. You don't have a clue what I'm talking about. It, of course they had a public school system before that here and there. Like even in the colonies there were public school systems if you look it up. But it wasn't compulsory. It, be, it became compulsory in 1852 where people were being forced to go. And so, and some states it was like just to elementary. Some states it was just, you know, you had to actually graduate like from middle school and things like that. So what I want to show you is I want, I, I'm going to read through this exam from 1895. There's a couple of things we're going to learn from this. Number one, we're going to see how dumbed down our society has become from 1895 until today, right? So we're going to see how the public school system, they were handed the education of our children, just secular, this is all secular, all of it, and just how much it has plummeted or how much it has declined in over a hundred, just over a hundred years, drastically. But you know what else that teaches you is that the education in general of people before the public school system came into play was higher. That the because you have to think that the people teaching everyone else, right, this was their level of knowledge. What they're teaching them, they're obviously not just going to take all these farm kids and just throw them into these classes if they've never been schooled at this super high. So it just tells you in general those that were not attending the public school, those that were just being taught by their parents, being taught at home when they were younger, that their education in general was much higher because when the public school system started out, before it was even compulsory, everyone's education was much higher at that time. So there's two things that we can learn from that. So I'm going to go through some of these. I'll tell you the very first thing that I noticed. I'll tell you after we read the first one. Grammar. Grammar. They have one hour to finish this. The amount of time that they have is one hour. 
Give nine rules for the use of capital letters. That's the first one. Give nine rules for the use of capital letters. Who could give nine rules right now for the use of capital letters? This is an eighth, eighth grade exam. Okay, point number two. Name the parts of speech and define those that have no modifications. Define verse, stanza, and paragraph. What are the principal parts of a verb? Give principal parts of do, lie, lay, and run. Define case, and then it says this, illustrate each case. What is punctuation? Give rules for principal marks of pun punctuation. And then 7 through 10 is all summarized in one. Write a composition of about 150 words and show therein that you understand the practical use of the rules of grammar. So that's just grammar. They have an hour to do that. That's just grammar. One thing I want you to notice is that there's no multiple choice. That's the first thing I noticed about all of these. Do you know what it actually teaches you? Independent thought and critical thinking. You can't just guess. You have to actually understand this and know it. The whole test is this way. All of the other subjects, all of them. They're all just, you know, and even the way that the questions are formulated are at a much higher and advanced level than if you were to talk to an eighth grader like that, they wouldn't have a clue what you were saying. They would have no idea what you're saying. Half of these words they don't even understand. They haven't even learned this, this vocabulary yet. So it shows that their vocabulary was much, much higher. So who, who thinks that they would pass that test today? A room filled with adults? No one, right? Arithmetic, time, you have an hour and, and now this is super interesting on many levels. You have an hour and .25, so an hour and 15 minutes. Name and define the fundamental rules of arithmetic. Anybody do that? Notice how the, that you're actually learning the basis of these things. You understand what I'm saying? Like these, you need to, this is good. This is the fundamentals. Where do you start? The fundamentals of arithmetic. Oh, listen to this. Number two, a wagon box is two feet deep, ten feet long, and three feet wide. How many bushels of wheat will it hold? Now, no one here knows the size of a bushel. That's a major problem here. So you wouldn't be able to do that. So they, there obviously was a standard of the size of a bushel at this time. But I want you to notice that everything I'm getting ready to read in the arithmetic section, it's all extremely practical. All of it is extremely practical and there are applications in their everyday lives. Now, the math that I learned, a lot of it was not that way. You hear people like complaining about that and normally it's people that are like not very educated. So you don't, you don't take them serious. But that is one of the things that lack in the education system today. Is a lot of it's not practical. They don't teach you practical things. There's a lot of things when you get out in life that if this is my schooling, there's a lot more that I need to know about life and how to actually get along in society, like how to balance a checkbook. I'm never taught that. I went to school for 12 years and you're never taught that in school. It's like that's something basic real quick that we're never taught. All of the things are like that. Uh, number three, if a load of wheat weighs 3,942 pounds, what is it worth at 50 cents per bundle deducting 1,050 pounds for tear? That's taxes. So, or tear is, uh, it, it's torn up, not it being used in taxes the way it's spelled. So, uh, the bad portion of it. So I want you to think about that. Notice how practical that that is. And this I want you to think about as well. There's no calculator. They didn't exist yet. They, all, they did all this math, math, all this arithmetic by hand. Four, district number 33 has a valuation of 35,000. What is the necessary levy to carry on a school seven months at $50 per month and have $104 for incidentals? Okay? Point five. You guys calculating all this in your mind right now? You got it? Find cost of 6,720 pounds of coal 
at $6 per ton. Six, find the interest, listen to this, find the in interest of $512.60 for eight months at eight, at, and 18 days at 7%. Okay? Seven, what is the cost of 40 boards 12 inches wide? So there's 40 boards 12 inches wide and 16 feet long. So you'd have to find out that 16 feet, you'd have to turn that into inches, obviously. You have to convert that first. And, yeah, and, and then it says... Uh, long at 20 cents per inch. So you have to calculate all that. No calculator. Find bank discount, find bank discount on $300 for 90 days. And it says, in, it's parenthetic, no grace at 10%. So they're not giving grace, it's 90 days with no extra days, right? Number nine, what is the cost of a square farm at $15 per acre? The distance around, which is 640 rods. I don't have a clue. That was obviously a measuring you know, tool that they would use, a, a rod with specific some measurement. And then point 10 is write a bank check, a promissory note, and a receipt. Isn't that interesting? And when I noticed this, I was, I was noticing while I was going through, this is extremely practical to their everyday lives. All of this is like overly practical compared to what we do. And my example that I always thought of, this is the best example, like I was never taught how to balance a checkbook. Right. And the very last thing that they're told is write a bank check, a promissory note, and a receipt. So it's just like extremely practical things. U.S. history, give the epochs into which U.S. history is divided. Number two, give an account of the discovery of America by Columbus. Notice the independent thought that has to take place. Give an account, like your own words, tell me what took place uh, when the, of the discovery of America by Columbus. Relate the causes and results of the Revolutionary War. Show the territorial growth of the United States. Tell what you can of the history of Kansas. Describe three of the most prominent battles of the rebellion. Who were the following? Morse, Whitney, Fulton, Bell, Lincoln, Penn, and Howe. Anybody know even more than four out of the seven people on that list? I know a few of them. I think I knew four. And then Jessica's just like, you know, I think, which one? I don't remember exactly which one. Yeah, she knew Lincoln and then she knew the na other names were familiar. I think Bell is Alexander Graham Bell. So I kind of cheated on that one in the sense that I worked for Cincinnati Bell, so I knew the history of the telephone company. He created the, the, the first telephone. But yeah, I mean, obviously Penn and Howe, probably everybody knows who that is, and Whitney. But the next, uh, or the next question is this, name events connected with the following dates, 1607, 1620, 1800, 1849, and 1865. Orthography. Time, you have one hour. Who knows what orthography is? Anybody? My wife guessed and got it right. Orthography is writing, right? It's, it's proper writing. That's what that means. Orthography is proper writing. What is meant by the following? Alphabet, phonetic orthography, etymology, syllabication. What are elementary schools? How classified? What are the following and give examples of each? Trigraph, subvocals, diphthong, cognate letters, linguals. I mean, it just goes on and on. Geography, this is the last one. Read a couple to you. What is climate? Upon what does climate depend? How do you account for the extremes of climate in Kansas? Of what use are rivers? Of what use is the ocean? So notice how they understand like the purpose of things in creation as well. Like what, what uses can you get out of a river? Right? Uh, what's the purpose and what use can you get out of an ocean? Like they understand the uses of these things. I mean, they're, they're being taught 
you know, uh, uh, um, you know, good even lessons that are going to apply to them in life over and over and over again in all of these things. You know, it go, there's so many other things. Name and describe the following. Uh, Monrovia, Odessa, Denver, Manitoba, Hecla, Yukon, Saint uh, Helena, Juan Fernandez, Aspinwall, and Orinoco. I can't even pronounce half of them. I don't even, I don't know what 50% of those locations are. You know, I know some of them, therefore I know what they, all the other things have in common, but who knows what a lot of those things are? No. <laughs> How would you have been if in 8th grade you were slid a test like this? Like a 50% or 20% even, right? Doesn't that make you feel dumb? It's like, what? There were 8th graders. There were 13 and 14 year old children sitting down in 1895 passing these tests and knowing everything on it and being able to explain independent thought, critical thinking based upon these tests in 1895. And then you look at an eighth grader today, right? Homeschooling, prior to this, if you, I can't remember what the statistic is because I looked at a few of them. Prior to this, virtually everyone was homeschooled. And if you look it up, it is not true at all that people just weren't schooling their kids, they were just using them on the farm. Not true. That's not been true throughout history. Every, uh, all societies virtually have taught their children at home, if you look up schooling and education. And what was going on before 1865, before it became compulsory to send your kids to the public school? Parents were educating their children. And this was the result of it. And then the public school system got their hands on it, and this is where the kids were, and look at where they are today. Whose fault is it? Who's in charge of the intelligence, the level of intelligence of our children today, by and large, in the United States of America? Are they more intelligent or less intelligent? So when it comes to secular education, does it sound like even when we talk about secular education, that it's a wise decision to send your children to Babylon to let them educate your children? Does that sound smart? They turn all of our kids into a bunch of fools, and that's what it is, the public fool system. The public, you know, when I was in eighth grade, there's not a chance I would have passed a test like that. Not a stinking chance. It's just showing you how the education, how the knowledge and understanding has plummeted because of why. Everything the government gets their hands on, they mess up, they fail, they destroy everything. Everything. You're in Daniel chapter number one, correct? Let me get there myself. Daniel chapter number 1. <clears throat> I want you to look at this, that this was true even at the time of Daniel. Daniel chapter number 1. Look at verse number... Look at verse number 3. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes. Verse 4. Children in whom was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. So they're trying to choose out. So this is Babylon. They had carried all the children of Israel, the children of God, into Babylon. And they're there with, with the world, if you will. Right? Babylon's another great picture of the world because in times Babylon's going to reign over the world. Babylon at that time reigned over the world. So the children of God, the children of Israel, they're brought into Babylon. And you see you know, that, they're, that they're, cho they're choosing out specifically some of them that are wise. Right? They choose out some of them that are wise. I want you to look at verse number 17. As for these four children, this is after they have been examined, 
God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Verse number 18. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. So I want you to notice that when God's people, the children of God, the children of Israel, and who was commanded to teach the children in Israel? There's no institution. There is no, you can search all throughout the Old Testament. Do you know who's told to teach, their, to te to teach the children? There's no public school. They weren't supposed to go to the priests in the temple and all learn. The, the parents were. And when the, the, the children of Israel are brought, they're compared unto all the kids at Babylon. All of the children in Babylon. And you know what it says? These children here, the children of God, are wiser and there's, there's no one found in all the kingdom of Babylon that's as wise as them. Even at the time of Daniel, was the secular education system, was it better? Not a chance. When we look at the children of God, we look at the children of Babylon, the children that go to the public school system, if you will, that are taught in Babylon, who was wiser? Who had more knowledge? Who had more understanding? The children of God did. Those that were raised by their, by their parents, those that were taught by their parents, they were wiser. They had more understanding. We as Christians should not... You know, people oftentimes have this, you know, stereotype of Christians where Christians just aren't that intelligent. You know, you know where, where Christians just aren't that smart. That should not be our, you know, uh, 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 stereotype. We should not be classified like that. We should seek knowledge and understanding. We should be intelligent as Christians. The men of God in the Bible were intelligent. They were smart when it came to science, understanding, knowledge just of the world in general. Solomon was a wise man where people of all the world would come around just to ask Solomon questions because he was so wise and so knowing and so understanding just of all different sorts of topics. That's how our children should be. Our children should be wiser than the children of Babylon. Our children, even when it comes to secular education, our children should be wiser and smarter than those in Babylon, those in the public school system. And this is actually true. In 2019, homeschool students scored 17 points higher than the national average on the Scholastic, the Scholastic Aptitude Test, which is the SAT. Homeschool students score 72 points higher. So bring that up to the next person that wants to say to you, are you sure that maybe they're not going to be that smart if you're teaching them? Well, if we look at the averages, my friend, the public school system's a joke today in the first place. You'd be an idiot to try to defend it. But if we're going to bring that point up, why don't we look at the average of homeschool kids? And the average is that homeschool students score 72 points higher. I got the most up-to-date statistics, by the way. Notice I read that from last year in 2019. When kids took the SAT in 2019, they scored, homeschool kids scored 17, 72 points higher. That's the, the other average. That's private school on the other side and public school, both. Homeschool is better and excels than both. So, do you think the majority of homeschool parents, the majority of them, almost none of them have, uh, um, they've been educated to teach. Almost none of them have been certified in, and have a, uh, you know, uh, a, um, a diploma from a college. I can't even think of what it is. What is it called when you graduate from college? Degree. A degree. Goodness sakes. Almost none of them have a degree in teaching. Almost none of them. Right? 
But guess what? Still, what's the average? 72 points higher. So even when it comes to secular education, it's the public full system, not the public school system. I want you to go now to Proverbs chapter number 22, verse number 15. I want to go fast through these other points. Proverbs chapter number 22, verse number 15. Point number four is the public school system does not properly discipline children. If you do not pop properly discipline children, they will remain a fool, according to the Bible. Again, the public fool system. Again, another reason why it's the public fool system. Proverbs chapter number 22, verse number 15. Proverbs chapter number 22, verse number 15. <clears throat> the Bible says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Let me ask you this question. Does the public school system spank children today? Do they use a rod on the, on, on the children? No, they have completely dismissed all and banned all in most states, not all of them, but most of them, it is actually banned uh, corporal punishment. Many of them. Right? I know the state of Kentucky, it's not. I think Florida, it's, it is not. Yeah, it's not. But there are a few, if you look them up, there are quite a few states where actually corporal punishment is totally banned in public schools. But even if it's not banned, if a ch it, can you imagine a student or a teacher spanking a child today? Do you know how much trouble? There would be lawsuits galore. They, they don't allow it. It's one of those things that's just, uh, you know, taboo where you just don't do that, right? You're, it's something you're not going to do, right? Children are not spanked in public schools today. And the Bible says that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. All the children in here, we love you, but you're foolish. There's foolishness bound in your hearts. And do you know how the only way that us as parents can get it out? By the rod. Notice that it says, shall drive it far from them. Does it sound like it's just like, just the tap gets it out? No, you need to drive it out, right? You know, we need to, it, it's, it's continual. It's something that needs to go on repeatedly. In order for your children to be wise, in order for your children to be knowledgeable and have understanding, you must spank your children. It is necessary. You have to spank your children. I don't care what alternative methods of discipline are out there. I'm not interested. You know, verbal correction according to the Bible, check. Corporal correction according to the Bible, check. Those are the two things that you should be using if we take the counsel from the Bible in your life as a parent. And does, and does the, the, the school system, the public school system today, spank children? They used to, but do they today? No. Another reason why it's the public fool system, because they're allowing these children's, children to remain as fools because they're not driving the foolishness out of them. Re this is a reason why you should homeschool, because you know what you can do? You're there. If your child acts up, get over here. You know, in our case, Johnny, go get the spoon. John's the, 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 he retrieves the spoon, and you don't have to tell him. He loves to do it. He goes and grabs it and brings it back to you. Bend, you know, normally it's Jeremiah. Bend Jeremiah over your knee. Wham, wham, wham. All right, in this case, we're talking about schooling, so it would be Elijah or Michaela. Spank them, get back to school. You know what you're doing during the day? You're making, you're, you're teaching them, right? Secular education is good. They're, they're learning all sorts of things. They're learning the Bible. You should have a Bible time where the, the mother teaches the children the Bible, right? But then also, even on top of that, even in addition to that, we're driving foolishness out of them. We're causing them to be wise because they're there with us and we can spank them. Another reason why you should homeschool and not go and send your kids to the public full system. Go to Jeremiah chapter number 4 verse number 22. These next two points are the most important reasons on why you need to homeschool as opposed to send your children to public school. Jeremiah chapter number 4 verse number 22. Jeremiah chapter number 4 verse number 22 and I'm going to read to you from Romans 
Romans chapter number 16, verse number 19 says this, For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is, which is good and simple concerning evil. I want you to notice that statement. Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Oftentimes, when you talk about homeschooling, one of the things that people try to attack is, oh, you shelter your kids. You're sheltering your, your, your children. There's so many things out there that they're not going to learn about. There's so many things that they're not going to be able to experience and learn about. And, the, and that is very commonly the, the verbiage or the language that they'll use is, hey, when you homeschool your kids, you're sheltering your children. Now, I always say to people, every time somebody's brought that up to me over the past few years, I always ask them, what's the purpose of a shelter? Explain that to me. Why do you go in a shelter? To protect something or someone. So, if you're you know, accusing me of protecting my children, then you are exactly right. And if you're sending your children to the public school system, and I'm sheltering my children, what are you not doing? You are not protecting your children. And that is actually the truth. This is the next point. Point number five, why you need to send your children to... Why you need to homeschool your children and not send them to the public full system or the public school system is because of the ungodly environment that children are subjected to at the public school system. The bad influences that your children encounter at the public school system. I want my children to be simple concerning evil. I want my children to be wise concerning that which is good. I don't want my children to know about a lot of the things that they would learn if I sent them to the public school system. A lot of the things that you're saying that they'll experience, I don't want them to experience. And a lot of the things that maybe they might even, in this case, even let's say that they would have got the chance to experience something else, else if there's other bad things that come along with it, we'll find another way where they can experience that or get to do that in another way. The public school system is a cesspool and is filled with debauchery and sin and filth. And I would say the majority of people in here probably attended a public school system, right? And what would everybody in here say? Public school system is filled with filth it's got, there's a lot of children at the school that live rough lives. A lot of children at the school that are allowed to do a lot of things that I was never allowed to do, that most of the kids were not allowed to do. I would say most of the kids actually were, I would say this, 98 or 99% of the children, I grew up in an independent fundamental home, right? 99% of the kids were allowed to do things, watch things, go places that I was not allowed to go, go to. Think about that for a minute. So if you're going to take your child which you want to be raised like how we believe, doctrinally, Bible believers, Baptists, according to the Bible, you're going to send them to a school, 99% of the kids are living a lifestyle, doing things, seeing things, going places, they know things that you would never allow your children even around. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What do you think the kids are going to talk about? What do you think the kids are going to tell your kids about? That's why I don't want to send my... This is the most important reason. I would rather my... They're like, oh, don't you want your kid to be an electrical engineer? I would rather my child, my child's education, you know, be strangled out and him grow up to be a pure, you know, man that serves God rather than have a great education. That's not what's most important to me. My children's purity and my children's innocence are the most, are the, what's most important to me rather than their education, rather than all the other things that I spoke about. You know what my, the, the number one thing that I want for my children? If you'd say, hey... Tell me what do you want most for your kids. I want them to grow up and serve God. That's what I want. I want my children to grow up 
and to be good, godly, righteous men and women that serve God and love God. That's what I want for my children. So if we look at why are we training our children today, let's look at the end goal, right? Let's look at the end goal. Why are we training our children today? What do we want to get out of them? Do you know what my number one concern is that they serve God when they're older? That's what I, because right now, the life that they're living and what you are teaching them and, and filling them with, that is directing them down a path that they're going to go when they get older and you set them free. That's what's going on. And what I'm doing is I'm making sure, according to you know, my best you know, knowledge and my best understanding, that the decisions that I make are decisions that are going to lead them to a lifestyle that later on in their life they're going to want to serve God and they're going to love the Lord. The public school system will do the exact opposite for numerous reasons. For numerous reasons. Look at Jeremiah chapter number 4, verse number 22. Jeremiah chapter number 4, verse number 22 says this, For my people is foolish. They have not known me. They are sottish children. That's like dumb or stupid. And they have none understanding. I want you to notice that over and over and over again. They're dumb. They're stupid. They have no understanding. They're foolish. Now look what it says next. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. It's almost the exact opposite of Romans 16, 19. That's what I don't want for my kids. You look at the kids in the public school system, they know a whole lot, of, a lot about bad things. They know a whole lot of things that your children don't know. They know a lot about a lot of sinful things, things they learn from the TV, places they get to go. Look at the teenagers. There's a lot of little devils younger than that even. But look at the teenagers and the lives that they live. The number one reason I don't send my children to public school is because of the, the horribly wicked influences from the public school system and from the other children that I don't want them around. <clears throat> I'm going to read you statistics from the public school teenager's own mouth. Now, if you look up statistics that the public school itself puts out, I had to work hard to find these. Because if you look up statistics that the public schools themselves put out, they are not near as bad as this. And do you know why is I found out that they have certain fundings that they, and they have certain PARs and things that they have to meet in order to still continue to receive those fundings. So what they're doing is they're fudging the numbers and they're not the right and correct numbers. That's what's going on. But there were surveys that were taken, three surveys that were taken back to back to back where they went to public school systems and they questioned a random amount of public school kids and they got a percentage about the amount of kids that are involved in certain practices, sinful practices across the United States. 17% of teenage public school students smoke cigarettes regularly. And I would attest that that seems about like the right number. When I, I know the kids that I was around and I know who smoked and who didn't and about how many kids attended the school. And I'd say that that's a very close number. So in the United States, 17% of teenage public school student, students smoke cigarettes, what's considered according, this, these are based upon the CDC. CDC is regularly, they smoke cigarettes. Seven, that's almost 20%. All close, getting close to one out of four. 24% of teenage public school students are considered binge drinkers according to the CDC standard of binge drinking. That's 24%. Now binge drinking is where you are drinking at least five drinks. This is CDC standard, that you at least one time within two weeks are having five drinks back to back to back. That's what they consider binge drinking, right? So basically, I would word it this way, 24% of teenage public school students get drunk at least once every two weeks. That's what I would say. 20, so one out of four children that attend a public school get drunk at least, at least once every two weeks. 
8% of teenage public school students admit to abusing prescription drugs on a regular basis. 6% of teenage public school students are using marijuana on a daily basis. 6%. That's, just, that's those that are using it on a daily basis. Not every two weeks, not every weekend. 50% of teenage public school students have engaged in a physical relationship. 50%. So one out of two, if you go to a public school, school and I picked out two random kids and sat them here, one of them have, has engaged in a, in a physical relationship. And everybody knows what I mean, I changed the wording. Physical relationship in, by high school already. One out of two. You want to know the reason why I don't send my kids to a public school? That right there. That's the, the number one reason is not because it's a superior education. That's just another benefit. Do you know the number one reason? Is because I don't want my kids to turn out to be just another statistic like this. Because here's the thing. You can say, oh, my kids won't do that. Hey, there's an, there are exceptions. I agree. And you can try to do everything that you can. But here's the thing about when you send your kids to public school. They're gone for about 10 hours of the day. Your influence is very, very minimal in their lives. Very minimal. And here's the thing. In my case, when I went to public school, I played basketball. And that's every day of the week, buddy. Every single day of the week. Do you know how many hours I spent at the home on average throughout weekdays? Probably an hour. Like awake. I got home at about 9 o'clock and went to sleep at about 10. I was home about an hour actually engaging with my parents. That's sad, too, if you think about it. And that went on from like, you know, probably started in like fourth grade all the way till senior year. Weekdays. That was my time that I spent. And then I've played AAU and all types of stuff all throughout the year as well. So I'm doing all kinds of things there as well. Not spending time with my parents is where they're minimizing the influence that they could have in my life. You have, if you send your kids to public school, you can say, oh, my kids won't do that. You, you, are, you can say whatever you want. Yeah, I understand that you're their father and you're their mother, but you, your influence is very minimal. They're around all these other people. That's who, they, that's who they're most familiar with as opposed to you. You know, my parents, I've talked to them, and they very much wish badly that they would have sent me to, or they would have homeschooled me. My mom says that over and over again. She wishes that she would have homeschooled me. So we can learn from that as, as now that we're parents today. Hey, this is what's right. This is what we need to do. We know that we need to homeschool our children. This is the, one of the main reasons why. You know, people will bring up to this. I want to say this quickly and I'm going to move on to the last point. It's point number six, last point. People will say, I had a guy at my work try to argue with me on this topic. And it went, and I was just knocking down each thing that he brought up. Well, what about secular education? I was like, he didn't say secular education, but he's, what about education? Don't they lack? I was like, have you ever looked at statistics? Do you, have, you ever, have, you, have you talked about this with anybody else before? I was like, that's a known fact. You know, maybe just to me because I homeschool my kids and I you know, prepare myself for these types of uh, situations. Homeschool kids are better than everyone else. Christian school kids are next. Public school kids do terrible. This is just a fact. This is a fact if you look it up. Then he brings up something else. And then he gets to the point where he's like, yeah, but their socialization lacks. They're really lack, you know, they're, you know they're, not, they're not very sociable. I said, I guarantee my kids are more sociable than your kids. I will guarantee it. The other day, Jessica called me and she pulled up at this, this she smiles every time. She thinks I'm going to say something embarrassing. Well, it's kind of about you, actually. She pulled up, uh, she, she pulled up because Michaela, a screw was getting loose in Michaela's glasses. And um, she pulled up and she, uh, she could see inside, right, where everything, because it's all glass. 
and she could see the people. It's a small little uh, uh, glasses uh, store where, where they had actually purchased them. And she sent her inside just by herself, but she could see everything just to go and speak to them and everything. And I asked her, I said, I said, how would you be if somebody at 11 years old, somebody, I wouldn't do that. I'll tell you right now I wouldn't. I wouldn't. And I was like making fun of Jessica. Like, oh, my name is uh, Jessica. My glasses broke. I was messing with her on the phone. But I know that I, I know that, and I told Jessica when we were talking about it, I said, I'm sure she went in there, and everybody knows how Michaela is. She's like articulate. I'm sure she went in there and said, hi, my name's Michaela. My mom purchased these glasses here. They're damaged. You know, I'm missing a screw. Is there any way that you could possibly fix them for me? You know, she, you know our children are super socialized. It's because, and this is, this is true, it's because they, they spend time with people that are different ages all the time. That's why she speaks so maturely, because she's around adults all the time. It is, it is, this is what people are just, Brother Russell and I were talking about this earlier. People are just conditioned with whatever they're used to. So because in the public school system, because you went to a public school and everybody else that you know went to a public school, you think that that's normal. That's not normal throughout history. Okay, That's only what your country does and your culture does, so you think that that's what everybody should do. That's poor socialization. That's why when kids graduate, I was a project manager for many years, and kids that came out of, like, and would come in for an interview, like, I hired and fired people. So I would interview. 18-year-old kids were super hard, hard to hold a conversation with. Super hard. They're very socially awkward because they're not used to speaking to adults in a professional setting. That's why. I couldn't hold a conversation with them. I couldn't get them to concentrate. It just the conversation fell apart all the time. I'd have to guide the conversation. I would have to put way more effort into the conversation. Normally it's like you give some, I give some. But it's like the, the conversation would just fall apart because they're terrible with socializing with adults. You know? Children that are homeschooled oftentimes are more mature. They're better with socialization. And what's funny is this guy left the company and I had this, it, it, another guy... He, that conversation obviously bothered him really bad. So he left and told another guy about it. And that guy came to me and I told him, I said, it's odd that he would be the person to bring that up with, to me. Because that guy, his name's Josh, and I don't want to hurt his feelings, but he's super socially weird. And even Tim, like that's Tim's best friend. He like didn't want to admit it. He's one of those guys, like when he's talking to you, he's kind of like, like that. He's just really socially awkward. It's like, he went to the public school. And you are weird to talk to. You make me feel weird when I talk to you. You know, it's like you obvi obviously, you're actually, you know, a bad example of what the public school system does. And look at the socialization. I mean, look at, and the first thing that I brought up when he brought that up is like, what, in what aspect of socializing? Because I'm just, you know, barraging with all these things. I'm like, the morality? Kind of like, oh yeah, it's real social when all the kids have to walk through like a, a, a metal detector walking into public schools now. It's real social when you have a daycare for all the kids to drop their, their, their children off so that they can go as a 16-year-old kid to math class. That's real social. It's real social when they get on the bus and they start smoking cigarettes and handing pot to one of their friends. Real social. Real cool. That's the exact reason why I don't want to send them there. If my kids have to be socially awkward, so be it. I will not allow them to turn out like that. But you know what? Hey, the truth is that they don't. Those kids end up being weird. Those kids end up not being able to function in society when they become adult. The first real job they get, they get fired for five years. Over and over and over again, they get fired. Because they don't know how to operate in the real world. Because they've been in this communist system. Do you know where public school system started? Seriously. It's in the, it was in the 11th chapter of Karl Marx's book. That it's the very first time that it went wide. 
that all education should be free for all. And there should be an institution that the public, that the government runs and teaches all the children. That's where the public school system came from. Our country was a constitutional republic, and it's not anymore. People can say that all, is, all they want, but it's not. I love a lot of things that the United States was founded on. I love a lot of things about the United States. But we have so many socialist elements to our country already, today. There are a lot of things, that the vest, vestiges that have continued of the republic, but there's a lot of things that are socialist. Tons of stuff that is like, you know, the, the fact that we even have welfare and all of these things. These are socialist types of things where I'm paying for some, where you're taking money from me and giving it to other people. That is socialist on some level. There are so many socialist and, and, and communist uh, elements to our society today. And the public school system is a communist system. It began in communist Germany. That's the very first place where it started. It is a communist system where we take our children and we drop them off to the government to raise and teach our children, whatever the government wants to. That is communism, my friend. That is, the, the, that is a, the one, probably the best. You may be just conditioned to it, but that is like the best definition of communism. If I wanted to start a communist country, you know the first thing I would do? Start raising up the next generation the way that I want them to think and be. So I would gather all the kids together and I would teach them. I'd have all of my government minions teaching them all that I wanted them to know. I would do the curriculum and I'd teach them exactly what I want. The public school system is a communist system. I don't care if you're used to it. I don't care if you, you know, if, 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 if you just feel like that's what it should be. That's only because you are an American and that's what you have grown up with. It is a socialist system and it's not normal for just kids all of the same age just to be jammed into a room and just to sit with one another and only to be around kids their own age. That's not what the real world's like. You need to be able to socialize with people of different ages. And when you learn how to only be with other kids, you, like, you, don't, you never grow out of your immaturity because you're just with a bunch of people that are immature all the time. Okay, um, so when homeschooling our children, we can, we can uh, guarantee that our children are not influenced in a bad way. We can guarantee, excuse me, that they retain their innocency and their purity. That's the most important reason that and then the next point is I'm just gonna read it real quick because we gotta wrap up here not only because of the bad bad influences of the other children but even more importantly to pr protect them from predators to protect our children from predators schools are filled with pre predators let me give you a really really simple profound statement and then I want to read you some statistics real simple statement predators exist people that children molesters exist they are in the world we know that everyone agrees with that predators exist there are people in the city of Jacksonville, Florida that desire to molest children. I want you to think about that. The children that are in here, they would, if they had the opportunity, they would do bad things to your children in this city, right? This is a very simple, profound fact. Where children are, predators are. I want you to think about that. If you were a predator, this is weird to, you know, just, you know, humor me for a moment. If you were a predator, and you wanted to do harm to a child, where would you go? Where children are. Where children are, predators are. Where, if we think of in the United States of America, where are children all assembled and, and congregated the most? In public schools. So would you be surprised that molestation takes place in public schools all the time? Now, I, this is a statistic just about molestation in general of children. 60% of cases of molestation 
go unannounced and untold. They never tell anybody about it. So th these numbers are a lot higher. That's what I'm telling you before. These numbers are a lot higher than we actually know. Uh, the, then, we, then we can actually be sure of. Teacher molestation percentages of children in 8th through 11th grade, about 3.5 million students, nearly 7% surveyed reporting having bad physical sexual contact from an adult, uh, most often a teacher or a coach. So 7% of students in the U.S. Um, by the age of 8th grade already have been molested. 7% have been molested. The type of physical contact range from unwanting touching of their body all the way up to sexual intercourse. Sorry, I didn't mean to read that. The statistic increases about 4.5 million children, 10% when it takes other types of sensual misconduct into consideration such as being shown pornography or being subjected to sensual explicit language or exhibitionism. That's actually, those things are actually what's called grooming. The only reason why an adult does that to a child, that is a stage of grooming. I read a book about that specific thing and that is what takes place. What they do when they want to groom a child is they start showing them dirty pictures or telling them dirty jokes. That example of the 1950s where the guy's a sodomite, do you remember what he does in that? that this is the police because they've learned their behavior. That guy that's the sodomite in the 1950s California video or whatever, he shows them the... the um, uh, pornography. He shows them dirty pictures and he tells them dirty jokes. If you read books, even isolated from that, I read a book on how to how to like catch a predator, like how to build a sp you know spot the red flags. The two the two most important things that that is a super red flag is they tell dirty jokes. I don't know how I missed my finger there. They tell dirty jokes, or they will uh, show them dirty pictures. That's because they're a predator. That's why. That is called, that is a stage of grooming. That's the early stage of when they're grooming the child to be able to harm the child or to hurt the child. So that is 10%. So what that is is early stages where predators are trying to harm or hurt the child but they never got the opportunity. How many times did they try and they didn't? How many cases go untold where teachers, that's 10%. That's one out of 10 children in the United States that go to the public school system have been molested by a teacher or a coach. 10%. That's super high. And that's not even the, the, told, the true told number, the full number. 60% of, of people that are molested as children do not tell. But they, you know how they know those numbers? Because when they get older, they finally tell people. And the number's way higher. They're like, when I was a kid, this happened to me. When I was a child, this happened to me. So the numbers are way higher. It could be, 20, it could be 30%. It could be 25%. That could be one out of four of every child that goes to the public school system today. Do you understand how high of a number that is? If I, again, if I took four kids randomly from public school and sat them right here, one of them has been molested by a teacher in public school. Think about that. One child, you know, who has a life, a name, parents, that child at a particular moment had a certain person that, that molested them. One out of four. This is, this is why I don't send my kids to public school. This is why. This is why it is superior to homeschool your children instead of send them to the public fool system. That's what it is. One out of ten children enrolled in K through 12 in the U.S. have been uh, sensually molested. This is from Sesame. Here, I'm just going to move on. So you should homeschool your children because you can guarantee their safety. You can guarantee their safety. You can be there at all moments. You can guarantee their safety. We live in a wicked world. Go to Deuteronomy 6.4. We're going to end there. We live in a wicked, wicked world. People are looking for opportunities to hurt your children. Don't give them opportunities. I'm going to give you quick, other quick reasons to homeschool your children. No, no one is going to care for your children like you are. And that goes for every area of their life. No one is going to care for your children like you are. They're not going to show a personal interest to the degree that you would for your children. 
Women get to spend every day with their children. They get to be there while their children grow up. That's a major benefit. Think about that. Your kids are with you all day, every day, as opposed to losing out on 10 hours a day, possibly, where they're not with you every day for their whole life. While they're growing, you miss their, your children growing up if you send them to public school. Each individual child receives more attention as opposed to the public school children, because there's less of them, right? Each child's going to receive more attention. So it's going to be uh, less likely that you overlook something that maybe they have a need, right? Uh, kids that eat at home, get to eat a better diet. Diet is super important. They're eating a better diet. That's extremely important, the diet that you eat every day. And the public school system feeds you a crap diet. I remember the pizza, you know, all of it. It's just horrible and terrible food at the public school system. The breakfast, I couldn't even eat. Even when I was hungry, it's so bad. It was just, you couldn't eat it. Uh, more personalized education. So you can, you can focus on the child, kind of a, a repetition of points, but you can have a more personalized education for where they're lacking and things like that. You can target things for that particular child if there's a certain way where they learn. That's kind of a distinct point. You can give them that information in that certain way. I'll tell you right now, a teacher's not going to do that for them. When they got 30 kids in the class, they're not even going to know them well enough to do that. Uh, more field trips and more hands-on activities. That helps them learn too. They learn from another angle. Homeschooling is way better for multiple reasons. This is serious. Health problems. Some kids have special needs. Like Elijah has a serious allergy, he would die. If you stink and touched him with a peanut, that kid would go into uh, uh, anaphylactic shock. There's peanuts everywhere. Do you think the kid sitting next to him with his lunchbox knows about that? Of course not. No. Jessica said in school uh, that there was a couple of uh, uh, times where there was a kid that had peanut allergy, which is, of course, the most serious, often fatal, who got touched. And she got so bad they couldn't give her Benadryl. She could, they couldn't get it down her throat to dump it down her throat. They had to stab her with, with an uh, uh, EpiPen, an epinephrine pen. They had to stab her with it. That wouldn't have happened at home because mommy knows about the allergies. You know, the kids that need their inhaler are oftentimes their stories of kids dying when they're out practicing on fields and stuff because their inhaler's locked in the class somewhere and they can't get to it. Do you think mom and dad would allow that to happen? That wouldn't happen under our watch, right? Right? So there's multiple reasons. There's, you could even come up with more reasons. Homeschooling is superior in every aspect. In every not everything's like that. Homeschooling is superior in every aspect to the public full system. Now is it possible that you could send your kids to the public school system and they don't turn out horrible? Of course. Yes, it's possible. Is it possible you could send your kids to the public school system and they don't have anything, any you know, horrible incidents happen to them or anything terrible and they turn out alright? Yes. But I don't want my kids to turn out alright. I don't want to just give my kids what's okay. You know what I want to do for my kids? I want to give them what's best. I want to give my children what's best for my children and that's the decision that I'm going to make for my kids. That's what I'm going to do for my children. I'm going to give them what's best. You know, there's a lot of people that are great people that send their kids to the public school system. They are. There's a lot of people that are. And I'm not down on you. I'm just saying this is, this is, that's not what's best for the children. That's not what's best for them. We need to do what's best for them. Homeschooling is what's best in every facet. According to the Bible, it's the parents' responsibility to raise and to teach the children. This is the most important reason, and this is why we should, we should uh, homeschool our children, because it is our responsibility. God, however your kids turn out, you're not going to go back to their teacher in third grade and blame it on them. You're not going to go back to the kindergarten teacher, or their high school teacher, or their gym teacher and blame it on them. Do you know whose who's responsibility it is? It's yours. God has given you, these children... You know, the fruit of the womb is his reward. It's given to you from him. 
and it's a heritage of the Lord. This is yours. These are your kids and they are your responsibility and you're accountable for the way that they turn out. If they turn out bad, it's your fault. And you are commanded to raise up your children. I'm not going to read these because I have like 10 verses and I went on longer than I wanted to. But I'm going to read off the, the quotations for probably three or four of them. Uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well, well pleasing unto the Lord. Deuteronomy 11:19. And ye shall teach them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in the house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Deuteronomy 4:9. Only take heed to thyself, and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, unless they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. Proverbs 1.8 My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an or ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. Genesis 18.19 For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. It's about Abraham. For they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. What was he going to do? He knew that it was his, God knew it was his responsibility. And he knew that he was going to do what he had to do and that his children were going to turn out right because of him. Proverbs 15.5 A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. Proverbs 28.7 Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of riotous men shameth his father. Notice it shames his father. Shames his mother over and over again. It'll talk about that in the book of Proverbs. Why? Because it's the father and mother's responsibility on how they turn out. Psalm 113 verse 9 He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Where are the children? Notice, he maketh the barren woman, woman, I'm sorry, the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Where are the children? She's keeping house. The children are with her. That's the point. The kids need to be with you. They're your responsibility. Their safety, their education, their righteousness, their purity, their innocence, it's your responsibility. And if you send your kids off, I want to say this, this is harsh, but if you send your kids off to somebody else to raise them, that's negligence. You're being negligent in the duty that you are given. You are being negligent in a commandment that you are given. We're going to end here in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Verse 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down. And when thou risest up. I want, to know, I want you to notice this is a commandment. Thou shalt. It's a commandment. And I want you to notice that the kids are with you the whole time. When you lie down. When you rise up. When you sit in the house. And when you walk by the way. That's the whole point. You know what it's saying? Teach it to them all the day. All the day long. All the time. Diligently. Notice it used that word beforehand. It's saying the whole day. All the time. It needs to be something diligent that we take very important. Our children's education is serious. What happens between this time right now, you know, when the child is born, they're a toddler, and then before we send them out, 18, 19, 20, the boy goes and gets married, or the, the daughter, you know, uh, finds a, a man and marries him. What happens during this period of time is going to determine how they turn out at the end of their life. And once they're, once they're out of your house, it's, it's, you lost your opportunity at this time. The opportunity's over. Your chance is over. You only get one opportunity. And you're commanded to teach your children. Why should we homeschool our children? The last point, the most important point, instead of sending them to the public full system because it is our job as their parents and you are commanded to teach your children. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our children, dear Lord. We thank you for all the knowledge and... <clears throat>
and understanding and wisdom that we can get from the Bible. We thank you for uh, the Holy Spirit, dear Lord, that can guide us into all truth. We ask you that you would bless us, that you would be with all the children that are here, that they would all grow up to be wise, you know, righteous children that love you and are serving you, dear God, and that we would all make the right decisions for our children uh, in this case. And, and we ask you that, uh, that uh, you would uh, help us to, to understand why we believe what we do and why we practice what we practice here at the church. And uh, help us as parents to have the wisdom that we need to be able to raise children in a way that would be pleasing to you. And in Jesus Christ's name, amen.